What's going on, Diabetics Doing Things? This is a different episode. It's a new episode in a format that Eritrea and I are working on where we just really have a conversation, talk about what we're up to. It's a little bit of an update for you guys. We're going to do these periodically. Not going to give these episode numbers. These are just chopping it up for you guys, the listeners, to know what we're thinking about. We're going to dish on all the things that have been going on in our lives as well as behind the scenes at Diabetics Doing Things. We currently are doing takeovers every other week on Mondays for Doing Things Day. We're also doing giveaways with amazing shops uh, in the diabetes community. So you guys keep it locked on Diabetics Doing Things on Instagram. And we are just going to continue to have fun conversations, live it up, and talk about life with diabetes. Because as you guys know, it's not going away anytime soon. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation, very free-flowing with myself and Eritrea Musakan. Welcome back to Diabetics Doing Things. We're telling the amazing stories of people with diabetes from all over the world. This is a different episode. This is an experimental episode, and I'm very excited to introduce you to the first co-host of Diabetics Doing Things, my partner in crime, Eritrea Musakan. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you always. Um, And I think one of the things that we're trying to do is evolve this podcast a little bit. And obviously, like, we're still going to tell stories about people. We're going to have people come on and, and take over this platform, essentially, and tell people about what all the things that they do. But we're also doing a lot of things. So I think it's important. And I think this, I give you a lot of credit for this of like, let's make this podcast 2020. So here we are just chatting it up. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely important for us to deepen the podcast and just go further. Um, we want to tell stories. On a, on a bigger scale. So um, to do that, things have to change a little bit. And that's kind of where we're in the midst of doing right now. It's exciting. Exciting work. So uh, let's start this off. What's up? I mean, really, this intro is what are the things that we've been doing? Um, I'll start. Uh, it's been a little bit of a kind of crazy time the last really couple of weeks, uh, really keeping this a secret, I guess. In March, I got an email, just like a cold casting call from an agent, and they were looking for people for a campaign for Express. And I normally, I first of all, I don't get a lot of casting call emails, I'll be honest. Like, it just it doesn't happen. And this one in particular, uh, they were looking for people, like real people, to be the models in the campaign. So I was like, okay. And they said, if we're looking for people who have an Instagram platform, but it's not required who have like a side hustle, but it's not required, who are style focused, but it's not required, who have some sort of <laughs> social good element, but it's not required. And I was like, okay, well, even if it's not required, I check all of those boxes. So uh, Rob, I was like, Rob okay. How. Yeah, I was like, this Rob was, this was perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I responded, I was like, you know, and I kind of said it and I'm big on, I don't know, I was going through this like, not manifestation time, but I was like, I'm going to book this. I, I said, I was like, I'm going to, and I'm going to like respond to this email in a way that I'm booking it. And so I did. And, uh, you know, the photos and everything. And I forgot about it for like six weeks. And then they finally reached back out and they're like, Hey, you've been selected. <laughs> and so I was like, great. Boom. Uh, and then over the subsequent six weeks, we worked on what the campaign was going to be. And then they came to Dallas and we did the shoot at, uh, recreation, my office and my agency office. And then uh, at some spots downtown. And then again, radio silence for a little while uh, until I guess two weeks ago at the beginning of September when uh, the campaign went live and one of my clients texted me. He was like, hey, congratulations on the web- the homepage of Express. And I was like, what? 
And yeah, there it was a homepage of Express Men on Express.com, which uh, was, I don't know, I've never done that before. So it was kind of a weird, surreal, fun thing. I also learned which one of my friends and clients like shop at Express because they were messaging me all the time. <laughs> they were like, hey, check us out. Yeah, no, we were, um, I know I was super proud of you. I told you how I, I was telling my brothers about it because I tell them about diabetics doing things all the time. And my cynical brother was like, wait, Express? express men like the actual place and i'm like yes rob is doing big boy stuff over here man we were definitely proud to see you representing the diabetic community out there and just doing it so well even just watching looking at the pictures just awesome man it's awesome it was it was cool like kind of speaking on the diabetes side like they were really like judicious i guess is the word to make sure that that was part of the story and i think that was an interesting thing and even yesterday this is being recorded on September 18th. So September 17th, we were on a panel with some real heavy hitters. Uh, Iskra Lawrence uh, probably being the heaviest hitter among them, but it was hosted by Tan France from Queer Eye. Tan, awesome. First of all, I was just, I wanted to be like, I just wanted to vibe out with Tan. I was like, if I can just connect with Tan somehow, this will be a huge success for me personally. So I think I did okay. It was hard to like connect over Zoom, like on a panel, but uh it was it was a lot of fun to like be able to say like hey I have diabetes this is what it's like and talk about important things like insulin pumps and insulin access and counting carbs and how it's hard to live with a chronic illness and I think it just it was really well received and you know at least from the feedback I got uh, you know from the panelists as well there was I people were on Twitter about it which was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It was it was interesting to represent diabetes on a mainstream platform because I haven't really had the chance to do that very often, even in the last five years. So it's mostly on diabetes related platforms. So it was kind of cool to be uh, having a very specific niche and message on a panel like that. No, yeah, and it's definitely important, especially right now with you know elections and stuff coming up for us to raise more insulin for all awareness and advocacy. So to see you on a panel where not everyone else was diabetic and just you were diabetic and you had to just kind of stand your ground for all of us. It, it was awesome. It was inspiring. I'm, we're all so proud of you. I think so. Speak for the whole diabetes community right now. <laughs> Kidding, but mostly. Is that a paid endorsement? Did I pay you to say that? Yeah. <laughs> no, ad, no hashtag ad here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was cool. It was. And uh, you know, I, again, thanks to express and, and it was a, it was a fun time to be like a, a real model. I'm a real model. I'm a published international model now. So look out at yes. My ego is about to be huge. I'm saying Rob Howe, real person. Look at me. Uh, look at us. Who would have thought? Um, thought? Speaking of just like content stuff. So I have also kind of restarted my YouTube channel and, and started vlogging. I'm, I'm, for me, it's more of like, can I actually get good at making vlogs? <laughs> it's like, am I, or am I too old or am I too, am I, has my, have my millennial days caught up with me? Uh, but I'm working on it. And, uh, so my YouTube channel is diabetics doing things. So we're gonna, I don't know, continue to evolve that and, uh, see if, you know, we can make it fun. Uh, but now that I've got my little content studio at the house, uh, more pods, more videos, we're just, you know, making this workflow as easy as possible. So uh, that's been, that's been cool. And yeah, if you listen to this and want, want to see me on YouTube, that's what I'm doing. Check him out. It's on the channel on the, up on the vlog now up on the vlog. Yeah. Let me vlog this. Um, that's a, that's how I'm going to start talking now. So just be on the lookout Don't for lots of vlog to, talk. 
don't don't forget to like and subscribe for more content. Wow, smash that subscribe button. Sorry, yeah, I have to talk like a vlogger now. Um, what else is coming up? Type One Nation Summit. So normally I'm all around the country at the local events, but this is not normal. We're in 2020. Uh, so JDRF is putting on the first ever national Type One Nation Summit, which will be completely virtual. And honestly, I, I like there's of all the people speaking, I am for sure the least qualified. Everybody's like a scientist or a researcher. So uh, I can promise that we won't have a whole lot of like science in my presentation, but we will have a lot of fun. So I'm going to be doing my from professional basketball player to professional diabetic presentation, which I haven't gotten to do that much this year, honestly. So uh, because of all the events getting canceled. So I'm excited to dust that back off. I've actually already recorded it. So it's pre-recorded, but then I'm doing a live event uh, with like Q&A happy hour type thing afterwards. So it's going to be cool to hang out with everybody. And I don't know, like there's going to be a lot more people at, at this one, I think, than are normally at the summit. So uh, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, because it's virtual, right? And it's on September 26th. I think that's the date for it. I think so, yeah. Which is a Friday or Saturday, I think. Nice. nice. Um, yeah, it's so... Virtual. Yeah, all, all virtual. Uh, yeah, because like the summit is on Saturday. The happy hour thing is at, is on Friday, Friday night. Uh, and that's with the Beyond Type 1 and JDRF Alliance. So that should be, nice. should be fun. Uh, and very cool. And I think, you know, again... There are so many issues surrounding diabetes. I think one that we kind of sometimes lose sight of in the community, I think I lose sight of at times, is how much time we, you and I, and others who are very involved in like our kind of close diabetic friend group have in this community. And we forget that like on day one, there's like no, you don't know the rules. You don't know the ins and outs. And I think these events are good entry level into saying like, hey, if you're a caregiver of a kid who just got diagnosed, you can see somebody like me, an adult living with type one uh, and be inspired by that. And, and, and a lot of other really great speakers as well. Uh, and then we get, we introduce you to, okay, well, how do you become an advocate? Well, how do you, um, you know, may, how do you take care of, you know, what are the options for diet lifestyle exercise? Like all of those things that we now know and are very familiar with in the DOC, but we got to remember like on our day 1000 or whatever, like what's five years for me is 1500 days. Not the same as somebody who's, you know, day one, six months in, we just had a big shout out to CJ who is a T1D hot mess express who just celebrated her first diversary. And, you know, in, in, I think she represents like a new wave of people with diabetes who get involved with the diabetes community right away and how like big of a cheat code that is for their life with diabetes. And for me, that didn't happen right away. So, um, you know, I, I'm glad that they have that option. I mean, yeah, absolutely. When you go from being normal to diabetic, you, it, I'm sure that can be really uh, lonely. Like you just feel super alone and just in this area where you're kind of in the dark. So I can only imagine that a summit is great, not only to just get a bunch of information, but also I think something that's important in the diabetic online community or just in general is, that sense of community, that sense of connection. And so when you get to go to those types of events, you can connect with other people and maybe not feel so alone anymore. There's another person like me who's going through what I'm going through. Um, yeah, I think the summit's going to be awesome for that. And then it'll help them all just be more involved and not feel not just alone, but so just sad about it because it can be a blessing in disguise in some ways. Yeah. And I think that's that, I mean, like you said, you're going to connect. It's a blessing in disguise. You can meet people that you didn't know. Uh, you know, the, the joke that, you know, 
we are very familiar with is like, it's the best group you never asked to be a part of, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I still believe that. I still think that's true. Are there bigger issues, uh, that need to be addressed? Absolutely. Um, and I think it's up to the members and membership of these, uh, organizations to continue to hold those people accountable and, and make sure that the organizations have our best interests at heart. Um, but at the same time, I think like there are, there are good things that have to happen. Like in the agency world, we call it parallel path, which basically means work on it at the same time. So, uh, you know, there, there's JDRF in particular, I think 40% of their office staff was laid off this year because of COVID. Right. And, you know, they certainly have had their issues and I think, you know, really expose how antiquated of an organization they are. So I'm glad to see them taking the right steps. Uh, I think, you know, after watching Aaron Kowalski go in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee last year, talking about insulin reform and insulin access, and just really like, like we talked about earlier, being on a non-diabetic platform, a very visible one, and talking about the struggles that people have, I think that leadership is going to be really necessary in the next three to five years as JDRF continues to make itself a little bit more modern and evolve. And I'm glad that virtual summits are, are part of that. So, um, yeah. And definitely also help to, to include just people who maybe wouldn't have been in the same room together. Like since this year, COVID has changed the dynamic of the summit itself before we'd be in different parts of the country, different people, different demographics, but now we'll all be in the same online quote unquote room. So that will hopefully change the way the conversations kind of go and maybe even share issues that are really important in some parts of the country and then not so much in others. So that'll be good. That'll be super interesting to watch. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. And I think, you know, access to those events, most of them are free. Some of them are paid, but like to have one that's free and online, uh, you know, you get on it from your phone if you need to, um, I think is really, really strong. Speaking of events that can't happen in person, uh, Myabetic Diabetes Awards. Oh yeah. We um we had a awesome time in year one. Uh, I, we were actually talking about it. I was in a, another group chat with a bunch of people, and Erica was in it as well. And uh, we were all just kind of reminiscing on all being together. And not everyone was there, but there were a lot of people together from the the Instagram community specifically. Um, but you know, we're not going to be able to do that. So Myabetic launched yesterday, announced their TV platform, Myabetic TV, uh, which is going to be on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Prime, I think. So pretty exciting, like a new thing. Um, and I had talked with the founders and leadership of Myabetic a couple weeks ago. They announced that, and that's where actually the awards are going to be. So I'm going to be hosting the awards from my house. And that'll be, I'm honestly, I'll be wearing a suit on top and probably sweats on the bottom. So uh, that's just, that's okay. just how I'm going to be living. So my, that was going to be my question because last year for this award, you wore the red suit, the iconic, and it's, it's on the internet guys. You guys want to go look it up. He's wearing like this red suit with the white pinstripe and it's just so like, I can't even, so are we, are we seeing the same thing on this year's red carpet rub? So are you giving us different vibes. Uh, Listen, I have two therapists. I'm known to be extra. Okay. So yeah, last year I wanted to, uh, go all out. So I was like, okay, I'm going to hire a stylist. So I hired a stylist and we did like a fitting in the hotel lobby and like, uh, Paloma glitter glucose was checking in and like, I'm just like in the lobby, like taking my clothes off, like 
changing because there was no other place to change. And Austin first, Everyday T1D, and my fiance Erica were sitting on the couches just laughing at me. Uh, so yeah, I wore three suits, uh, three looks. I had the red carpet look, which was like a blue suit with like the turtleneck. Not as many pictures of that one. Uh, then I had the red, the, like the, the burgundy, like striped, like very wild, very loud, uh, for the show. And then I had like a after part, like a maroon bomber and a turtleneck. It was like, a, it was big vibes, uh, you know, coming out of all that wore different shoes for each one. It was crazy. These diabetes awards are like the Grammys of the di- of diabetes. Is that? Yeah. Is that I mean, they said, they said it was like Oscars, I think was the, was the, the, the real, uh, comparison so i was like fine i get it red carpet after party and you know i'll never we can't quote r kelly anymore but there was a show and there was an after party and one comes after the other and i had different looks for each of them uh, and we had a great time so anyway that's gonna happen indoors now uh maybe i'll do three looks still maybe i'll maybe i'll even add a look but there will be my my clothes for sure and i won't have a stylist for this one unfortunately so i'll have to get my own stylist on which will be just fine yeah, no problem. Somebody let Erica know so she can help you out there. <laughs> she would just roll her eyes at me, which I deserve. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. I can't can't hide. I am I am very extra. We all know this. Um, it's going to be a good time, though. Really excited to watch. I'll, I'll be there. See? Yeah, you'll be there because you don't have to leave your house. It's easy. It's great. Absolutely. Easy. Uh, speaking of easy, but sometimes we make hard... We're working through the backlog of interviews. I think we have two that are going to go live after this episode. Uh, we also finished the second part of the Companion Medical Acquisition uh, podcast with with uh, Medtronic Diabetes. So that'll be dropping after this episode. Um, and it's, I don't know, those are going to be really cool. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I say this every time. I'm sorry it took so long, but sometimes, I don't know, my headspace is just clogged. And I'm excited for how we're going, like Airtray has really poured new energy into this platform and also just having someone else helped me work on it has, has helped me get inspired. I think the platform diabetics doing things on Instagram has been totally altered and changed in a very positive way. Love the stories that we're telling, uh, just much more fun, much more active, uh, really utilizing that for what it was for to tell the stories of more people. So we're just going to continue to do that. And we're, we're not going to be able to tell every single story because we're only two people for now, but, uh, we are making a list of people who we want to talk to topics that we need to cover, so keep it locked. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna continue to do that as you know as the year and years continue on. Yeah, definitely. Keep your eye out for our newsletter. It's always at the beginning of the month, first day of the month. The drip. Um, I think I, I think I love the drip. It's awesome. My favorite part is this Rob's letter in there. It always is very grounding and kind of tells you what's going on this month in diabetes. Um, I, th- I like your narration of the diabetes community, Rob. It works out well. So I'm yeah, like, keep the log like you said. <laughs> I'm like Morgan Freeman. I'm just the narrator. <laughs> this month in yeah. the diabetes community. <laughs> Basically. But yeah, no, it's great. Um, like you said, we're telling stories. I really like how we're telling stories from different places. We're going, you know, it's crazy that we're stuck inside of our houses. But if you follow us on Instagram, we can take you somewhere else once in a while here. Uh, I think twice a month somewhere else. So far, we've been to Lebanon. We've been to Palestine. Uh, we went around with T1D Brookie. That was so amazing. Such a good day. So we're getting to meet people from all walks of life, all different places. And we just want to continue to do that. So, um, I mean, keep writing us. Add yourself to our list of people that we want to interview. Um, we're not forgetting about you guys. We're just, you know, telling your stories too in the meantime. So let's let's get it done. Let's do this. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things you mentioned earlier about like the conferences and things. 
we can't all be together. So social media has always like given us access. And I think one of the things, I don't know if I told you this, but maybe like four or five years ago, Snapchat was doing these things where they would aggregate stories from different parts of the world. And they did one in Saudi Arabia. And it was like all the people in Saudi Arabia who were using Snapchat were just doing the same bullshit that we were doing in America. (laughs) They were just like living and having fun. And like, it just was so humanizing to me. I was like, honestly, Snapchat has done more to normalize life throughout the world than like any other platform had in decades. And so I think I, you know, taking cues out of the, uh, out of those books or cues out of those areas, whatever, uh, taking those cues, uh, and being able to access another place for a small period of time and take a snapshot of what it's like somewhere, walk in somebody else's shoes, it's really important to me. And I, for one, get I enjoy them because they're new to me as well because <laughs> you're working on them primarily. So it's nice to uh, oh, just kind of experience them. <laughs> you know, yeah, but also it's just like, I feel like as Americans, what I'm trying to do is open our eyes, especially us American diabetics, and be like, oh, other diabetics, they're just like us. Like that's, you know how they do that thing in celebrity magazines? You're like, celebrities, they're just like, it's kind of the same thing. Like, it's not just supposed to be humanizing, but it's also supposed to be like, it's just, it's equally difficult or it's difficult in other places as much so that we, we as Americans also shouldn't feel so alone in that. Like we're struggling to get our insulin here in other countries they are too. So it's, it's not just that. Yeah. yeah. And I think normalizing those struggles is really important. That was one of the things I talked about on the panel yesterday of like, it's okay to admit that this is hard and that we all have struggles. Normalizing that is important because to deny it is just to deny like an entire part of yourself. So I'm excited that we get to learn that. And I think the thing I want people to say is like, Oh, today I learned something about diabetes from another part of the world that I didn't either know, or I had heard, but I wasn't sure about, or I had forgotten about or something that related to me. So, you know, we're all truly not that different. And I think that's really important. Uh, Right now we can't travel. Our American passports are basically worthless. So, you know, let's experience other parts of the world. Uh, And it's actually been interesting. Uh, This week, somebody from China reached out uh, via email, which is the first person who's ever reached out from China. So that's, uh, that was a really exciting thing to, uh, you know, we're, we're going global guys. You didn't even tell me. I'm like so happy about this. Yeah, no, this is amazing. Uh, it's my dream come true, you guys. I'm, so, I'm nerding out right now. Yeah, I'm so lit for this. It was it was super cool. It was just via email, and and yeah, you just never you never know when you share your story what you know and share other people's stories what can come out of it. So, uh, hopefully, more to come from that perspective. Uh, okay, let's shift gears a little bit to you. We had an Instagram live, which we can link to in the show notes. Um, when you joined the team. And we talked a little bit about your life with diabetes, but why don't you just give it like the, the diabetics doing things overview of like diagnosis and what was going on when it was. And I think we'll talk more about your story from there. Okay. Um, so it's, I think it's interesting that we both really enjoy telling other people's stories. So I'll say this now, disclaimer, I hate telling my own story. It's not my favorite story to tell for some reason. Um, I much rather turn the spotlight onto Rob or someone else, but for prosperity and sake of this podcast, I would tell you. Um, so my diagnosis story, I, um, let me start at the beginning because I feel like my diagnosis story is very unique in the fact that it starts before I was diagnosed. Um, so I was diagnosed in February of 2002. Before that though, 9-11 happened on September 11th of 2001. Um, at the time I lived here in Irving, uh, my parents, my dad actually is one of the first people to, um, to start the Irving Masjid. 
here in Dallas, which is one of the biggest masjids in the country. My family is Islamic. So we moved here. And at the time, our school was inside of our church. So we were at school, regular day. Our teacher goes into the hallway. She comes back. And she's just like, something terrible has happened. And we're actually closing school for the day. And I was just like, what? And uh, my best friend, Sarah, she was in my class. And she like, I just remember she grabbed my hand behind my shirt. And she was like, something really bad happened. Like my brother just told me. And I was like, what's going on? So we all got sent home. It was really weird. Um, nobody really told us what was happening until we got home. Then my mom told me that, you know, the Twin Towers had gotten a plane crashed into them. That people were saying it was Muslims. Um, the people were saying it was people who looked like me and my brother. I wore hijab at that age because to go to Muslim school, you wear hijab. They're teaching you how right. to be a Muslim and a person, all those things. So um, I remember that day we went out for dinner at this place called Furs, and my dad was like, Eritrea, you can't wear your hijab. Like, you have to leave it at home. And I was just like, why? Because I was just now starting. And like, little me loved the attention that I got in my hijab. I was like, oh, little cute girl. But now it was like bad attention. I had to leave it at home. So we went out to eat. Um, we got really weird vibes the whole time. And then when we came home, I remember my mom and my dad stayed up really late arguing and talking really loud. And then the next day, my dad was like, um, you guys aren't going back to school for a bit. And I was just like, why? And apparently our school got um, shot up that night. So somebody came to our school with rifles and they shot through all of the windows. And at the time, their school wasn't the actual budget. It was like like these four rooms that people were praying in and teaching school in. So it was really sad. And so our school was closed for a while. And my dad was like, well, there's no flights for two weeks. But after that scare goes away, let's get out of here. Let's, let's go somewhere else. It's not a good place to be and be Muslim right now. So me, my dad, and my brother, we left. My mom stayed here. It was just us three. And we went to Germany to stay with um, my family. So my dad has an uncle, my uncle Osman, who lives in Germany. We stayed there for a few months. So we stayed there up until, and I remember the reason I know we're there for months is because Aaliyah died. So if anybody can tell us when Aaliyah died, I think it was in December, we were there for a while. And I just remember that the plane crash happened. It was on TV. So we were there for that long. And then we came back home to America. Um, while we were gone, it was really cold there. I got sick. I got pneumonia. We came back to America. We were home for like five days and I got diagnosed with diabetes. Like that. I had pneumonia and then my mom swore I was drinking all the milk in the house. She took me to the doctor doctor was like you have diabetes um and then from getting diagnosed I just remember that my mom was crying my brother was crying my other brother was crying and I and if anyone else was the eldest daughter of immigrants you know I had to be the adult and so I was just like stop crying stop crying mom it's gonna be okay what do we need to do the doctor's like you guys need to go to children's I was like okay we get in the car. My mom calls my dad. Meet us at Children's. We go to Children's. Um, and I remember sending everybody home. Like, I had Dr. Dixon. Anybody in the Dallas area has Dr. Dixon. And I remember I was just like, listen, I can do this by myself. I was nine. And I was like, you guys can go home. And I got to come back in the morning. Um, and that's just kind of how I was for a while. So uh, I think that 9-11 had a lot to do with my diagnosis. I've always, like, related being so traumatized, just having to leave and go somewhere else. Chronic stress, really the whole nine. Yeah, just be really confused and then really miss my mom because I've always been really attached to my mom. So I was just like, I don't really want to be somewhere freezing cold right now where I've never met these people. Like, I've never met my dad's family. So it's just like a lot. Um, and so my mom swears that it was the school, the stress, 
everything like one just bad storm or perfect storm for disaster um because i was diagnosed yeah like right after like as soon as we came home we weren't even home for like a week so yeah so I, I think there's a lot of things like to unpack there. I think first let's like, we just, uh, remember like celebrated is not the right word, but just like, uh, the anniversary, 19th anniversary of, of nine 11, 2001 was last week, a week ago today. And I think there was a lot of commentary on like, Oh, if only the United States could be as united as we were after nine 11, maybe we could, you know, end social justice. Maybe we could, you know, end COVID and things like that. And I think, I read some commentary early on in after coronavirus that was talking about 9-11, kind of referenced it because I think it's in terms of timeline and context represents a, like the most recent domestic tragedy um, yeah. from, from like a death perspective. And I think like fear perspective and, and the, the guy's point was like, it's easy to get united against a common foe that you can see. So for you, and I think this is my, I'm getting to my point here is taking me forever, but um, some of the fallout from that unification against enemies of the United States and, you know, uh, Al Qaeda, for example, is like took credit for the attacks and that, you know, Osama bin Laden. I think the fallout globally really of Islamophobia is also just the backside of like the, of that of that coin, the double edge of that sword of like, yeah, it was good that we were able to, as a country unite and get behind, um, you know, and be, and be, you know, united in that front. But also there are spillover effects still in this country, especially in more rural areas that are, uh, very against Brown people. And I think, you know, uh, in some like callous conversations with my friends, it's like, you know, maybe the thing that unites America the most at times is its unification against Brown people. Um, and I think that is something that I think we just need to really, truly never forget, as well as the people who died that day uh, and understand that, um, you know, as a global superpower, as a global as global citizens, uh, there are Americans like you who are American citizens who were born here and, and raised here who had to completely change their way of life for a period of time and still experience discrimination because of what people who look like them did across the world 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I would, you know, there's so many things about 9-11 where I feel like there were many more victims that are never talked about. So we forget that because of 9-11, the Patriot Act became a thing in this country where they can literally take Muslims for any reason. Like, I remember my dad telling me, and my, my brothers and I all have Islam. I'm the only one who has a different name. My brothers have Islamic names. So all of our names are like Osman Ahmed Musa, Dawood Ahmed Musa, Samir Ahmed Musa. And I remember my dad telling us like, hey, be careful what you talk about on the phone because our names are like triggers for, they're listening to everything we're saying. Even now I'm married, my husband is Hassan Khan. So like I'm Eritrea Musa Khan. So it's like, I have to be constantly vigilant of my own government because so many people that look like me were taken for reasons that it's like something out of V for Vendetta where they can just make you disappear into a black bag because of that's the way the law was written. And that's a direct like result of 9-11 and not to mention all the wars that we've had and how many, like how, how many people that died not just in Afghanistan, but in Pakistan, in Iraq, in all of these places that we don't talk about. So 
it's important that we remember what happened, but it's important that we remember the facts in its entirety and that we acknowledge that not only some Americans in New York died that day, so much more happened. Um, and I think that's the most American part of it is not just the uniting ourselves or uniting themselves against brown people, but like the, the negligence to the fallout, the absolute ignoring the results of our actions or how we feel about an issue as Americans. Like there's no, um, there's no accountability about that. And I think that's really frustrating for people who look like me. Yeah. And I think that perspective is important because I think for me, as a white person, those things are not front center for us, right? We just, you know, we share our never forget graphic. And I mean, uh, those stories are heartbreaking and uh, death is heartbreaking, but it's not also not only heartbreaking in some places. And I think when you look at the global spectrum, one of the things that was really, I don't really talk about this that much, but when I was playing basketball against the Globetrotters, my first tour was in the Middle East. And one of the legs of that tour was in Afghanistan and we, I think, spent a week in Bagram and Jalalabad. Uh, Bagram is a base. It, it like didn't exist, I don't think, before the U.S. military came over there. And when I tell you it is a giant city of, uh, of portable buildings and shipping containers, like even if all, if all the personnel, all the vehicles, everything evacuated or like completely got out, there would be like a shipping container yard the size of Dallas that was there. It's just the scale of it is is insane. And I think also just meeting the people who were over there serving are mostly young people. And I think doing the best that they can and trying to make a better life for themselves and serving our country uh, and in service of our country, you know, they don't make some of those decisions. And I think the decisions that were being made by people higher up had tremendous impact. And we're seeing this in our veterans and we're seeing this, uh, in generations of people in the places where they were occupied. Um, the fallout of, you know, that type of thinking at times is just completely, completely, um, impactful, I suppose. So, uh, you know, there's, the world is different because of nine 11. And I think it's important to remember that, as well as like where we were and what we remember and who passed away on our, on our side and the people, uh, you know, first responders who gave their lives and, and, and also saved many lives. And those stories are important, but also, you know, we, we can't just stop there. We have to remember, uh, the global impact for, uh, many, many people around the world. Right. And so when you say global impact, and I just, I know, I just want to say this part is there are some positives. So, I would almost argue that because 9-11 happened to a generation of people that had to watch it happen, so people in our age group, we're not with that. We're not with the let's all make one race our common enemy because it doesn't make sense. And we watched how it destroyed our country as children, teenagers, whatever. So I would almost argue that part of the fallout or part of the repercussions that the government's having to deal with now is a bunch of us had to grow up and now we're adults who grew up under the Obama administration and watched one person lead us in a specific way and now seeing how it's not what's happening and we're like, no, we're not with that. And so I think that it's very interesting to see the negatives and but the positives are also like, they're up here, you know, right now. So um, it, it, is, it is an interesting conversation though, for sure. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, just to kind of bookend this discussion, um, for a period of time. God, I had a great point. And I just totally lost it. 
uh, God, yeah, I hate when that happens. Um, but you know, I, I think now, nah, now I just, I just don't have it. So yeah, I guess we're, I guess we're screwed, but yeah, I mean, basically register to vote, do good, uh, care about people. Uh, and I think that's what we're seeing, you know, people who like, for example, like LeBron James, for example, let's just, uh, also the our Lakers king. are in the Western our Conference king. Finals. Uh, yeah, so, our king. uh, you know, a guy who really came to maturity and came of age, like right after that. And I think learned and is different from previous athletes in his position because of the platform and because of things like nine 11 and because of things like the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan and, uh, because of things like black lives matter. And it is now a leader in that aspect. Uh, and because the media is asking him those questions all the time and, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, the, the, dissent and the naysayers i think of like stick to sports or shut up and dribble or whatever the case we are our generation of people are like well if you actually look back at sports in general sports has always been very political and very uh you know and i think people like jesse owens and uh and you know the black power uh gentlemen who were medalists and then had those medals stripped away and like weren't honored as olympians so i think again like now we're sort of in this age of information which allows us to uncover things that really happened um and that culture of accountability and people call it cancel culture sometimes people get canceled because they do terrible things but accountability culture i think is what you're talking about in that you know people now are looking into all right well we're not taking things at face value hundred percent of the time. So uh, while, you know, I think it's a fair criticism to say, oh, well, Rob telling people to vote is not the end all be all. I agree, but it is a step in the right direction. Register to vote, participate in democracy, local, uh, you know, regional, national elections are important. And, you know, because those people represent you. Okay. Yep. Moving back to diabetes. Um, you went to Camp Sweeney, you're a Camp Sweeney kid. Uh, so, you yes. know, like all the Dallas, like, you're a Camp Sweeney alum. So I know a lot of people like it's three weeks long uh, and yeah. they basically take all of your, every, they put everybody on the same regimen, essentially. It's mm-hmm. a little bit like radical of diabetes it's from a, a diabetes manager. It's a cult, it's a cult I'm right? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All of you Sweeneyites no, are all still friends and you all have group chats and, you know. I mean, it's true. So my, it's crazy. My very best friend in life. Taylor Ann, sweet Taylor Ann. Um, I met her at Camp Sweeney actually, and she was a maid of honor at my wedding. Um, still one of my best friends. But yeah, no, I feel like Sweeney's an amazing place. Um, yes, it is three weeks long. I was one of those kids who was lucky enough to go for six at a time. So I'd go to two sessions. Yeah, I was hardcore, man. Like, hey, I have all brothers. I was just trying to get out of town. Like, <laughs> I didn't have to share my clothes there, my snacks, my stuff. Um, I don't think they put us all in the same regimen. I think you show up and you give them your diabetes because they ask you for like your paperwork from your endo. Right. Um, my endo was the medical director at me. So Brian Dixon, like I said, name dropping hard right now. But yeah, um, and you show up with your stuff. And then this is the crazy part. Med students adjust your insulin. That's what it is. That's that's what I meant, I guess. is like you don't the make the decisions. Yeah. Yeah, with the supervision of medical, like, di- like directors or, like, physicians or, like, residents from the hospital. And they, like, partner directly with children in some way. It's, it's an amazing place. I can't believe you never got to go. Um, well, the story I tell is yeah. that it was too cool and I knew everything. So why would I go to diabetes camp? But the other, the real reason is that I was in the, mo- the, the summer after I was diagnosed with diabetes was the most important summer in my basketball development. Uh, 
a, because like I was healthy. So that was, that was great. I was growing and as a player and also physically kind of growing. Um, and so when they were like, Hey Rob, there's like this uh, children's or whatever, like sent my parents the email or whatever. It's like, Hey, there's this diabetes camp. It's three weeks long. I was like, yo, how am I going to hoop for three weeks? Like not hoop for three weeks. Like, are you kidding? Like I'll never like, and so I just was, I just kept still balling. So that was my thing. I was like, okay, they have a basketball court there, but like, I'm not going to just like, I need to work out three hours a day was my like excuse. And I did. So anyway, you missed it. One, one as, day I'll go back. Sweeney, yeah, you missed it. Sweeney, we had the hood. Everybody knows what I'm talking about if you went to Sweeney. And it was fire basketball time. Like, a great time. But, um, yeah, I actually went to Sweeney right after I was diagnosed. So I was diagnosed in February of 2001. And um, I, in, in a different podcast, I'm going to talk about this way more. But my mom is very, like, all right, so here's the problem. Here's what we're going to do about it. And so she was like, you have diabetes. You need all the education you can get. And so she sent me to all these camps. And so I was diagnosed in February and I went to my first diabetes camp. I went to Camp New Horizons, shout out Sherry Hill here in Dallas in South Oak Cliff. Um, and I went in June of that year. And then in December, Camp Sweeney had their winter break thing. And Dr. Dixon somehow convinced my mom. And my mom was like, I have three other kids. Goodbye. Like, go to camp. And so I did. I went to camp for that first winter and it was really, really cool. I think that that's when the diabetes community bug really bit me because I made all these friends and I was like, okay. And the, and the friends also like, it's part of the Kool-Aid because they're like, if you come back next summer, I'll be here. And you're just like, yeah, you're my buddy. I'm going to be, but it's actually really a good time. And you do build these um, lifelong connections. They have this saying at Camp Sweeney. It's like the slogan. It's like when friendship begins and never ends. And when I was a kid, I thought that was the cheesiest thing I'd ever heard in my life. But now like, no. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to say it's true, right? Because everybody I've ever met that went there is still friends with at least two or three of of their campmates. So I mean, it's it's it must be true. I mean, because we all start really young. Most people who go to Sweeney, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people who go there start off as Bonner boy, Bonner babes or Brown boys, and that's when you're coming into camp at like nine years old. So it's like it becomes a culture. Um, but I love it. Um, huge shout out to them. If they're listening to this camp, we love you. <laughs> well, yeah, I know I've met people over the years at Dallas events that, and obviously around here, it's a lot more popular because it's close by, but, um, yeah, definitely doing great work over there for the most part. And didn't really resonate with me when I was 16, but I don't know what did other than like juvenile and like Pete you're Pablo. a hater, bro. Like it's okay. You're just a hater. It's fine. Big hater culture over here. Um, <laughs> okay. Last thing that we're going to talk about today, because we can't just, you know, keep, keep this going forever. Although we could probably do a three hour pod. Um, you did your first panel, uh, in the diabetes community this week with beyond type one and, uh, you know, talk about different lifestyle panels and what was that like? What was it like to be front center on the big platform? Um, it was really, well, first of all, shout out to everybody at beyond type one, Jordan. So nice. Uh, Tiara, I think that's her name. Also, Tiana. super, super. Oh yeah, Tiara, Tiara as well. well no. Tiara, Tiara. The moderator. She was so cool. Tiana, I think, is the person who thought of me and put me on. So thank you, Tiana. I mean, thank you to everybody. They're all just really sweet and so um, easy to work with. I am very nervous. Um, I know it probably doesn't seem like I'm bad at talking about myself, but I get nervous about it. So I was nervous to talk on the panel, but everybody there was super nice to me. Mila, um, Robert. Everybody was great, and it was a good time to definitely talk about um, making different foods, which I thought was so cool. Um, 
and I, I mean, just really short background. So when I got diagnosed, I was really young, like I said, and my mom, we went to this nutrition class and I remember the nutritionist was like, wow, like there's certain things that, like she's not going to be able to eat anymore. And I was like, my mom was like, ¿Cómo que no va a poder comer tortillas? What do you mean she's not going to be able to eat tortillas? Like we eat tortillas every day. Arroz, frijoles, beans, like you understand in the Mexican culture, like there's a pot of beans on your mama's stove every day. So my mom absolutely, um, definitely went back and was like, hey, we need a new nutritionist. And so I learned that at a really early age was like, if, if you're asking someone something and it's about you and you're like, hey, this is what I want. And they're like, no, well, that's wrong. Then you're just asking the wrong person, man. And you need to ask somebody else. And I think we've talked about that on this podcast before. Like it jumps out at me, like uh, Ryan Reed, who was a NASCAR driver, uh, his endo first endo told him that he wasn't going to be able to drive. And then they just did a little research. The next one was like, no, dude, we can, we can get you into NASCAR. No worries. And so it's like, you know, when we talk, we're going to talk more about racial inequity and health on this podcast, just because it's top of mind and real and we need to normalize it. But that's a place where it happens. It's like, oh, you're just going to tell me that the food that's innate to my culture, I can't have anymore. No, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But also being so multicultural, like, like actually once we had that conversation, it really made me think more like when I got off of it, because I was like, how many people, how many Eritrean people, how many Arab people, how many Dominican, anything, African, whatever, go in there and they're like, hey, well, this is my, like, it's my culture to eat in Jaya with, with whatever, like, it, that's my culture, jollof rice, whatever. And you're just suddenly being stripped of that because you have the, a different kind of diagnosis. Like, nah, fam, like, that's not definitely not it so um let's definitely keep eating the foods we love i don't think that those should ever be excluded from a diabetic diet that diagnosis doesn't mean you can't eat food you don't love like that's a ridiculous thought and spice and um, season your food for for crying out loud please just please, put some absolutely. spice on there <laughs> yeah that's it was crazy that mila said that and then we started talking about spices and i just i loved how everybody's spices were so different like um I think uh, it's just, it was just great. It was such a good conversation, to be honest. It was. And I would also classify this as a good conversation. We had fun moments. We had deep moments. We had uh, in the in-between, we talked about diabetes. We're going to continue to do this um, on an ongoing basis. I think probably twice a month, hopefully. I don't know. Maybe we'll do it every week. Maybe this will be a serial. Uh, Who knows? But uh, I think this is something that we just want to get more connected and more in tune with what's happening now. And yeah, we'll definitely uh, continue to plug those. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to The Drip yet, please do that. That's the best way to keep in touch with everything that we're doing. And we are always doing those things. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think uh, when I announced the Express campaign two weeks ago, people were like, when does Rob sleep? When do you sleep? Uh, honestly, I sleep like eight hours a night, so I'm getting shit done. Uh, we're just out here. We're out here doing it. So um, thank you guys, <laughs> as always, for the support. Eritrea, uh, just keep crushing it. Uh, you're going to be taking taking over the world one step at a time. So uh, looking forward to continuing to work with you on these. Yeah, no problem. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. It's been real fun. You guys have a great rest of your day.